There's a truly great miracle of nature. We all learned about it when we were kids. It's the metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly. You remember learning about that? It's possible that you learned it in kindergarten or first grade, and and you got so accustomed to it that it doesn't amaze you anymore. Whenever I think about it, it's, it's truly awesome to think that this, there's this caterpillar larva inching around eating leaves. It can't do anything else. And then one day, out of the blue, one day, it starts to spin itself into a chrysalis, a cocoon, which kind of functions like a little insect tomb. That caterpillar basically dies in there. It turns into mush, into soup, and then begins to reorganize into something totally different and absolutely gorgeous. It doesn't inch its way out of that chrysalis. It flies free. It's a butterfly. Now, if you and I were walking along one day and a a monarch butterfly flutters in front of our path and we stop, wow. And I said, man, look at that grown-up caterpillar. Look at that improved caterpillar. Aren't we so proud of how hard he worked to get where he is? You'd, you'd think me very strange, right? You'd say, Kyle, no, that, it's not a caterpillar anymore. It's got a new nature. It's a butterfly. It's something different than what it was, right? It's not just a better version of what it used to be. Now, I know this is not the perfect illustration, but my hope is that it helps us at least a little bit understanding what it means to be a Christian. I say this often because I need to hear it. But y'all, being a Christian is not simply an incrementally improved version of what you used to be. If you were to ask me, Kyle, what does it really mean to be a Christian? And I said, well, you know, I used to be angry and selfish, but now I'm, I'm kind and now I'm humble. Well, that's great. And those things might be outcomes of my Christian faith. But I haven't actually told you what it means to be a Christian, have I? I've just talked about my improvements, my character, right, my attitudes. Great, but what has fundamentally changed about me? That's the question. And what we're going to see today in Romans 8, we're going to see the truth about Christian identity. That by faith in Jesus, we are actually new people. New The scripture calls it a new nature, the new self. Jesus called it the new birth. Something truly has changed, has been transformed in us. And the Apostle Paul for today, he's going to talk about it as life in the spirit. That's the terminology he uses. No longer life lived according to the flesh, but now a life according to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if you, were, if you were here last week, we looked at the first few verses of Romans chapter 8, but even if you weren't, I'm going to give a quick recap. It really helps to give us context for today, that we understand the larger point that Paul is making here, that when Paul talks about what it means to be a Christian, who we are is determined by what God has done. So look with me at Romans 8 verses 1 through 4 here before we enter into the next piece. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. 
sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now notice how Paul frames his thinking here. It's very logical. It's very, it's very dense, but at least it's logical. Paul says God has removed all condemnation from us. How did he do that? Well, he set us free from the dominion of sin and death by sending his son Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. And now the righteousness we lack has been fulfilled for us and in us through Jesus Christ, through the Spirit of God. And all these things God has done for us and in us, that's why Paul is able to declare who we are, the end of verse 4. We are those who do not walk according to the flesh or live according to the flesh, but we now live according to the Spirit. So he's introducing a new idea here, flesh and spirit. So, so verses 5 through 11, what we're going to look at today, he's expounding, he's explaining what he means. So what is this idea of flesh and spirit, and why are they different? How are they different? Well, verse 5 says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Y'all, that, that may be a little grammatically strange. What does it mean to be according to the flesh? To be according to the Spirit? Well, the Apostle Paul right here is talking about our defining reality. Uh, the realm that we belong to, the, the state of our being, our very nature, is what's meant here with flesh and spirit. So what Paul is saying is, in the world there are two kinds of people. There are those who are in the flesh, defined by the flesh, and then there are those who are according to or in the spirit. And then Paul gives us a defining mark of each person. He says, we fix our minds on what we are. If you are in the flesh, you fix your minds on the things of the flesh. If you're in the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. It's the direction of your thinking, your behavior, your will. It's what dictates how you live. It's based on what you are. And those who are in the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now, I want you to notice the order that Paul gives us here. Because it's actually backward from what we tend to think. We tend to think that our thinking is what determines our being. Your thinking is what determines your being and your destiny. If you think you're a loser, then that's all you're ever going to be. You're going to be a loser. But if you think positive thoughts, right, if you think successful thoughts, happy thoughts, well, then, of course, your life is going to go that way. Your life, things are going to go well for you. Your thinking determines your being. And, y'all, there is, there's something to that, sure. But what Paul is saying is actually the opposite of that. He says your being is what produces your thinking. Your being produces your will, your direction, your inclination, your affections, your desires. Everything that we now do comes from what we are. He says those who are in the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They think because of what they are. We all do. Now, why does the order matter? Well, look at verse 6. Here's why it matters. For the mind set on the flesh is death. Will become death in time, yes, but also is now death. But the mindset on the Spirit is life 
and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right, y'all, when Paul uses the term flesh, he's not talking about the physical body. He's using flesh as, a, as kind of an encompassing term here for our natural humanness, our sinful humanness, that we are, apart from Jesus Christ, we are merely human. And in his letters to the Corinthians, he calls us natural men and women. We are corrupted by sin. We're separated from God. This is the state of every single human being apart from Christ. And because this defines a person's being, Paul says, it also determines their behavior. That's, that's what Paul, uh, Paul says in verse 7. He says, The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not submit to the law of God. In fact, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In other words, the flesh is the dominant reality of life, and there's no escaping it on its own, on our own terms. Uh, y'all, if, if, you were, um, if you've ever seen the movie Lawrence of Arabia, it's a movie from the 60s, a great film, there's a place in the, in the film where Peter O'Toole, who plays Lawrence, he's done really wonderful things. He's helped lead a revolt in the Middle East, and he's a, he's a champion, he's a hero. But then he gets persecuted and humbled, and he ends up kind of coming to the end of himself, totally despairing, feeling like a failure. And his best friend Ali comes to him and tries to encourage him by telling Lawrence how great he is and all that he's accomplished. And Ali says to him, a man can do whatever he wants. You've proven it. But then Lawrence looks at him and he says, a man can do whatever he wants, but he can't want what he wants. And then he grabs a piece of his skin on his chest and he says, this is the stuff that decides what he wants, and there's nothing I can do about it. Isn't that profound? The flesh, Paul says, is hostile toward God. It does not submit to God's law, and it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, that verse right there is actually very controversial, if it doesn't strike you as controversial, perhaps you've read it before, you kind of, you're like me, you kind of get used to the Bible and it doesn't sting the way it used to. This is a very stinging verse. And we might imagine the, the pushback to say, wait a minute, maybe you know a person. He, he's not a Christian, but he's a very nice person. He's, he's hardworking, he's honest, he's a faithful husband, he's a loving father. He gives to charity. He shaved his head to support a friend who had cancer. He runs 5Ks for heart disease. He's an all-around good guy. And sure, he's not a Christian, but he's not hostile toward God. My goodness, no. He's a nice person. In fact, he's nicer than a lot of Christians I know. More, more self-controlled, more hospitable, more polite. How could a person like that fall into this category? In verse 7, hostile toward God, incapable of obeying and pleasing God. Well, y'all, we, we have to be careful that we don't misunderstand and misread the Scripture here, what Paul is actually trying to tell us. 
Paul is not talking about good people versus bad people. That is not the aim of this text. Paul's not talking about good behavior versus bad behavior. He's talking about spiritual reality. He's talking about ultimate identity. That's why he doesn't use the terms good and bad. He uses the terms spirit and flesh. Things that we don't think of as tangible, things that we don't see readily with the naked eye, but are nonetheless the realities of life that we walk in and live in. Y'all, the truth is, there are people in the world who do not follow Jesus that are humbler and wiser than me. Is that a shock? There are people who are better dads and better husbands than me, and they don't know the Lord. Is that okay? Well, there's a part of me, I don't like that, because to me, if I'm a Christian, I should be better. But that's not what makes you a Christian. We're not, we don't go to heaven because we're better, because we're good. In fact, it's, it's, it's the opposite of that. We acknowledge that we're not good, we're not better. That's not what gets us in. It's the free grace of Jesus Christ given to us through his death and resurrection. It's the, it's the weight of all of our sin given to Jesus Christ. There's nothing good about me that earns my way up the ladder to God. If other people are better, wise, or more humble, whatever, then, then that's great, but that's not the question here. The question is, what realm am I a part of? What reality defines me? Is it the flesh or the spirit? Because here's the truth, to be in the flesh, no matter how nice we are, how dressed up we are, if you are in the flesh, you are alienated from God. You are spiritually dead. Paul says, there's a heart in me. If I'm in the flesh, my heart does not desire the glory of God. I'm hostile. I will not submit to him. Even if I go to church, perhaps, and do a lot of good things. If I'm in the flesh, then I'm not his. I don't belong to him. I don't seek his glory. I seek my own. I will not submit to him as Lord. And even if I do many good things in my life, none of those good things can please God because God's standard is not good. God's standard is righteous. And the flesh cannot produce righteousness. It it simply can't. Now, y'all, that is a very deep and difficult truth. But otherwise, Christianity is simply lumped together with all the other religions of the world. Be good, and to the degree that you're good, you're fine. You'll go to heaven. That's not what we believe. We have to be saved from what we are. The Scripture describes the flesh as slavery, as imprisonment, as darkness, as hopelessness, because it's a life that is lived without the Spirit of God. It doesn't matter how good and how decent that life is. Without the Spirit of God... There is only spiritual death. And that's why Paul says in verse 6, this life in the flesh is not life at all. It's death. It is, by definition, death. It's an identity that only an intervening work of the Spirit of God can resolve, can change. We have to be clear on our terms and how we understand this. We don't take pride in our goodness. Our goodness is not what gets us to God. We were in the flesh. But, and here's the encouragement, verse 9. But Paul says to the church, something's changed. Look at verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. 
Y'all notice again, Paul's concern is not good versus bad behavior. He's talking about position, defining reality. By faith in Christ, we now have life in the Spirit. You were once a caterpillar, now you're a butterfly. You're, you're legitimately different and new. You have died to what you were, and you've been born again. Y'all, this is exactly what Jesus tried to get across to a man named Nicodemus. Very famous conversation in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, who was a very smart, uh, accomplished religious man, comes to Jesus trying to figure Jesus out. And Jesus says, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus is, is totally confused. He says, how can a man go inside his mother's womb and be born again a second time? And Jesus answers, listen to this. Jesus says, what is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of spirit is spirit. That's why we have to be born again. Being born of the flesh or somehow if we could be born a second time and get a second chance, it would do us no good because we're still in the flesh. We have to be born again, born of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying nobody can earn their way in. The solution to the flesh doesn't come from the flesh. It has to come from outside of us. We have to receive new life by the Spirit of God. And it's only by the Spirit, Paul says, that we can belong to God. Now, I've got a confession to make, okay? I, I have always struggled to talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. Uh, just, it, it, it's, at, at times, it can make me uncomfortable. And it might be because when I was a kid, I would hear people call him the Holy Ghost, and I'm scared of ghosts. And so I was just never really, you know, comfortable with that. It's, it's also more likely in my adulthood... Some Christians really emphasize the Holy Spirit in a way that's deeply emotional and, and there's lots of running around. And, and for me, that makes me uncomfortable. That's not how I am. But y'all, here's, here's something that we can be certain about. The Apostle Paul is not uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 features the Holy Spirit more than any other chapter in the Bible. It's all over the place. And so this has to be, for me, a helpful corrective. That God is triune. That's the word we use. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three divine persons. And the Spirit is not the third-string quarterback. The Spirit is not on the JV team. The Spirit is the very person of God who plays an essential role in our salvation and in our lives. And now we're going to see that in the coming weeks. The Spirit's going to continue to come up in Romans 8. But for today, I want us to focus on the role of the Spirit in giving us divine life. What it means to be in the Spirit. It means that we have now life and peace with God. And Paul's going to give us some declarations on this that we've got to take to heart. Look at verse 10, first declaration. Paul says, If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, that, this is a fascinating verse because it kind of it paints a contrast for us. Uh, if Christ is in you, then you are a new creation, right? But you still carry one of the chief curses of the flesh. Paul says the body is dead because of sin. That is to say, because of sin, 
we all, all of us, are still subject to physical death. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the outer man is decaying. Isn't that encouraging? But that's the truth, y'all. Every heartbeat in your chest is one less in the grand scheme of things. We're all destined to die. Physical death, he says, is an unavoidable consequence because of sin. It's a result of sin. Yet, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, this is actually, there's actually a better way, I think, to translate that final phrase. Um, y'all, when Paul writes this letter to the Romans, he's writing in Greek. And in the Greek, they didn't have capitalization of the word spirit. So we see the word spirit here in Romans. And we don't know always if Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit, capital S, or just the human spirit, lowercase s. We don't always know. We have to use context to figure it out. Well, I'm convinced, personally, I'm convinced that right here in verse 10, he is talking about the Holy Spirit, not the human spirit. And so the English Standard Version, I think, actually gets it a little better. And so I'm going to quote to you from the ESV. It says this, verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Y'all think about this truth that you and I, we are subject to a dying, decaying body. We are earthly. We are from dust. There's a deadness about us that we cannot break. We cannot escape it. But God's Spirit is life. That means for us that, that, that we are subject to death in our bodies, yes, but there's, we possess an all-conquering, death-destroying life in the Spirit of God because of righteousness. And to circle back to what we talked about last week, this is not our righteousness. We don't have life in the Spirit because of our goodness. This is the righteousness that's been fulfilled in us. We've earned our death through the flesh. But that death has been swallowed up by divine life. And we receive that life by faith. And it gets even better than that. Verse 11, last verse we're going to look at. Second great declaration that Paul makes. He says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now that's a promise. Do we see what Paul's saying right there? That God the Father, who raised his own son Jesus from the dead, will also raise you from the dead. Even the curse of physical death is no match for the conquering power of the Spirit of God. He secures eternal, incorruptible life for us. The Spirit of God is not limited by this world or by our sin or by our physical bodies. He makes the mortal immortal. And that's why we have this promise. If you are in the Spirit by faith, this is as good as done. If Jesus Christ has been raised, so also will you be by faith in Him. Y'all, th this is... This is beyond our figuring out. Uh, you know, Paul says, he talks about this in, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, that there is, 
those who are in the flesh can't, we can't understand truly what's being said here. We can read it, we can comprehend it uh, in, in some sense, but unless it's happened to you, unless you've become a person by faith in the Spirit, th- this is foolishness. It doesn't compute. It's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. But to those who have been saved, this is the power of God. This is amazing. And I hope it is for you. And, and y'all, as, as we kind of round the corner here and close up, y'all, I, you might be thinking, okay, I'm, I'm no longer in the flesh, I'm in the Spirit. But isn't there like this ongoing battle still Aren't we still battling with the flesh, even though we're new creations? And the answer is yes. Uh, Paul does address that. If you, read, if you read through Romans, especially chapters 6 and 7, you see it. Galatians 5 is a very clear picture of it. Paul says we can still carry out the desires of the flesh. There is an ongoing battle. And we're going to actually talk about that a little bit next week, because in Romans 8, Paul will talk about uh, putting to death the deeds of the body as part of what it means to be a Christian. But not today, okay? For, for today, I just want us to focus in on what he's talked about positionally. The battle is there, yes. But in terms of what God has defined as reality here, that's what we're talking about. And the reality is that if you are a Christian, it is not because you've made incremental improvements along the way. We've got to get that out of our minds. If you are a Christian... It is because God has performed a miracle in you. This is miraculous. The flesh does not produce this. Jesus said it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. That means that if you and I are believers in Jesus, it's a miracle that has taken place on our behalf. That's the only reason we're here. And so once we were in the flesh, that means we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were unwilling and unable to please God. But now, because of God's mercy, His Spirit dwells in you, and you are in Him. We have been united with God once and for all. You know, that's, this, is the, this is the exclusive, unique work of God. We don't bring anything to the table here. We don't contribute. We don't help out. We don't add in the little sprinkling on top. This is God from start to finish. We receive it by faith in Christ. And y'all, when we do, Paul is saying, we, we don't just get a new outlook on life. We don't just get a few more tools in the tool belt to be more spiritually mature. We experience a new birth, a new nature. We are a new creation, no longer a caterpillar now, a butterfly, right? And because we are truly made new, Paul says it's not just positional, it's not just God speaking it, Something has changed. That's why he says, those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Just as it used to be with our flesh, now it is so with the Spirit that our mind, our thinking, our deciding, our desiring, our will, our behavior, our direction, it's all now given to the Spirit of God. Not perfectly, of course, no. But now there's something in us. We're inclined a different way than what we used to be. We now desire God to know him, to submit to him, to please him. And now by his grace, we can. Things have really changed. What we want has changed. 
What we are determines what we desire and what we delight and what we think about. What you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, then, then your, your entire way of desiring has been flipped. And I hope you feel that. It, again, none of us are what we ought to be, sure. But that's not the measuring stick. Don't let that be your measuring stick, that you're not perfect yet. All right? Has your heart inclined itself to God? Because that's what it is to be in the Spirit. Uh, the flesh can't want what it wants, Lawrence said. He was right. But we are no longer in the flesh. We are in the Spirit. And so this is the truth, y'all. If you are in Christ, that means you have an endless source of joy and delight and hope at your fingertips. You don't have to go searching for it. It's already there. If you are in Christ, you have an endless uh, resource of wisdom and strength because God is your Father. And that means if we are in Christ, we have constant motivation for obedience and discipleship. There should never be a day where I'm not motivated to know God, to love God, to walk with Jesus Christ more. Do I always do it? No. We'll talk about that next week. But my heart is different because God has changed it. That has to be true for those of us who are in the Spirit. And so I just encourage you, if you feel none of that, then my encouragement would be that we come back to the beginning there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ by faith? Or are you hanging your hat on simply being good and decent? Good and decent will not get us to God. God has come to us. And we receive him by faith. This is a gift. Have you received that gift? And if you have, then we rejoice in that gift, what we've been given and I pray for myself, I pray for us, that we would actually live like we believe it's true. Because those who are in the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. A guy named William Cowper, he's long since dead, but he wrote a song about this new life in the Spirit. I'm just going to read the short little chorus here for you and put it on the screen. To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. If you are in the Spirit, it's not religious duty any longer. It is a love, affection for God that wants Him above all else. Let's pray that that would be true of us. Father, if you have pardoned us in Christ, then we are truly new. If we have received you by faith, then we are truly different. And let this, let this new birth sink deep down into us. Lord, I know my own heart, and I suspect I know a lot of people here in this room, that we're, we're always just trying to do a little better. And we're not drawing from, from what we are and what you've done. That, that, Lord, you, you, have, you have fulfilled righteousness in us. You have set us free from sin and death. We are no longer in the flesh, Lord. We are in the Spirit. Will you, will you help us, Lord, by your grace, not to accept just little improvement, 
as defining who we are, but that we will look to Jesus Christ and stand in awe of what he's done for us. That's who we are. And if we are in the Spirit, Lord, then we have life and we have peace. If we are in the Spirit, Lord, then we are guaranteed resurrection. If we are in the Spirit, Lord, then even our our dead, decaying bodies now have have a resurgent life in them that cannot be lost or diminished or taken away. It is yours to give, ours to receive. Father, make us the kind of people who believe this, that we see ourselves as different, not better, not to our credit, but that we are new. And that because we are new, we will no longer walk according to the flesh, but we now walk in the Spirit. Father, thank you that you have made this our new reality through the sending of your Son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood that we might be forgiven. And you raised him from the dead, Lord, to secure our own new life and victory. Lord, make us the kind of people who believe it and live it, that we might be shining and bright lights to the world. Lord, when we think about what makes us Christians Remove from our minds simple character traits and let us point to Jesus Christ and his grace. That's what makes us who we are. And let every good gift flow from that. We pray it in his mighty and wonderful name. Amen.